So before we open God's word together, why don't we just take a minute and pray? Father, we're so grateful for all of your love for us and thank you for your goodness and your mercy in our lives every day. And now as we pause and open the scripture together, we pray that we would hear your voice, strip away everything that is not you so we can hear you clearly in Christ's name, amen. Most of you guys know that I'm into sports. Uh, you've heard me talk about it before. What you may not know is that this all started when I was about five years old. I can remember going along with my mom to the store and like a typical five-year-old kid begging my mom to get me a treat. And my brother was there, I'm sure. He would have been about four at the time. And finally, my mom relented, said we could pick something out. And I saw in amongst all the chocolate bars and the gum, a package of baseball cards. And I said, that's what I want. That's what I want for my treat. I think it was 25 cents. So my mom got it for me. I took it home. I, I opened it up. Of course, the gum was in there, which is disgusting. And I threw that away. And I saw these baseball cards. And they had glossy pictures on the front. And I flipped them over and there were statistics on the back. And that's, maybe that's where I got my love of statistics. I don't know. But I saw the numbers, their batting averages, and the number of hits and home runs, and, and little pieces of trivia about each one of them. And I was hooked. And from that moment on, every time we went somewhere and I could get a treat, or my mom was going to get something, or I had some money saved, I would buy a pack of baseball cards. And that continued on up through it. When I was a teenager, I had a few more bucks and I got a few more. I remember ordering my first complete set of baseball cards when I was 12 or 13 years old. And I went up through and after my first year of Bible school, I went to Ontario to work for the summer. And uh, Melody went too, and Tim was there and a few other folks that I knew from school. And we were bored. We worked all day and then we had nothing to do and we would go hang out at this little place we called the Snackery. And the Snackery sold snacks and it sold chocolate bars, you could get fries or ice cream. And I was in there one day with one of the other guys and I looked and they had baseball cards. So I said, oh, I'm gonna grab a couple of packs of baseball cards for something to do. So I bought them and took them back and the other guy and I were looking at them and we said, hmm, we know the guy that does all the ordering. I wonder how much it costs to buy not just a pack, but a box. So we went and talked to him and he gave us his price anyway. And it was like 10 bucks for the whole box. So we started every week, we'd order one box a piece, then two boxes a piece, and then three boxes a piece. Anyway, I ended up that summer with thousands of cards that are almost worth nothing now. I kept doing it when I came home, ordering cards, buying cards, collecting cards. Yada, 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 I've got 35,000 baseball cards in my attic in boxes that are doing no one any good. But anyway, the point of me telling that story is there was no number of cards that was enough. There was always more cards, new cards, different sets. Well, contentment is something that just naturally eludes us a lot of the time, isn't it? I'm sure that you can think of a time in your life when you didn't have quite enough of something that you wanted. Actually, I can think of something right now. Ask yourself this question. How many rolls of toilet paper do you have right now? Hmm? I bet it's not enough. I bet you'd like to have more. See what I'm saying? 
There's never enough. We always want more. If you look at the news, if you look at the memes, I'm telling you people, it is crazy out there. You're walking through the grocery store, you walk through Walmart, people have got their carts rounded up. What are they doing with all this stuff? They just want more. I know this is an extreme situation. I hope in a couple of weeks we're not dealing with all these things that we're dealing with right now. But I also think this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to look inside of ourselves and think about how we measure our contentment. How much is enough? Now, I don't mean rattling off the easy answers like, oh yeah, I've got enough. Oh yeah, God's good to me. Yeah, I'm fine. I don't need anything else. I mean real answers to deep questions. How am I finding my contentment? Well, even though this is a little bit different than what we usually do on Sundays, we're still walking through 1 Timothy as we have been for several weeks. And we're coming to a passage here that I think is really timely for us to look at. Paul has been talking about life in the church. Paul is talking about what should we be doing? How do we do God's work, God's way? And this morning we're going to be talking about what is God saying to us in the area of contentment? And I want to suggest to you this morning that if we are going to honor God, we must learn to be content. So we're going to read through 10 verses from 1 Timothy 6. I hope that when I told you earlier to go and get your Bibles, that you went and got them and you're ready and you're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to read the first 10 verses here over the next few minutes. And we're going to see four things that Paul tells us about learning to be content. Okay, so here's the first one. The first one is that we need to pursue contentment in our work and with our income in the first couple of verses. Paul says, let those who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers, Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. So what I want you to understand is that there is a testimony in your contentment and it starts at work. Now, when Paul was writing, there was slavery and uh, that was just the reality of the times that Paul lived in. Now, the Bible doesn't condone it, but you do see it there because it was happening. Now, I don't think there's anybody that's listening here this morning that is a slave in that sense of the word, but I want you to notice the word in that verse, bondservant. What the word bondservant means is that most of these people were slaves because they were in debt. They had borrowed some money to do something, to start a business or to care for their families or to buy property and they had defaulted on the loan, they couldn't pay it back. And so in those days, the law allowed the lender to take the borrower and enslave them, if you will, to earn the money back, to make the money back and to pay off the debt. And so uh, sometimes in here it says, you know, if the master is a believer and a brother, sometimes what would happen is people who had these slaves, these lenders would come to Christ, but they still had these slaves. 
And so it was a process that they were working through in the church at Ephesus when Paul was writing this. Now, some of the slaves were dishonoring their masters. They were disrespecting them. Um, so like I say, that, that's probably not a direct comparison to today, but I think there is an application that we can make, and it's with our work. It's with our jobs. Now, I know that some of you listening here this morning are probably retired. You might say, well, I don't have a job, but I want you to stay dialed in here for a minute. I want you to, I want you to follow along with me because there's something here for you too. For those of you who are working, let me ask you this question. What's your attitude at work? Do you complain? Do you groan? Do you gripe? How do you feel about your boss? When everybody's complaining about your boss, do you, do you join in with them and say, yeah, man, that guy, he drives me nuts, can't stand him, whatever. How do you talk about him? What's your attitude when you're at work? Now, if you're retired, Ask yourself those same questions, but ask them about your income or your standard of living. Are you constantly complaining about what you have and what you don't have? Are you constantly wishing that you had more, that you, you lived in a nicer place or you drove a better car or whatever it is? I think Paul is challenging us here, and I want to challenge you to start here. When you're thinking about learning to be content, start right here. Because if you're not pursuing contentment in this area of your life with your job or with your income, then I think you're going to have a hard time pursuing contentment anywhere else. So start here. Now, the second thing Paul says is that we need to follow leaders who teach the truth and who pursue peace in verses three through five. So Look down in your Bible there and, and follow along as I read here. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So what is this, the fourth time that we've talked about false teachers when we've been in 1 Timothy? Paul mentions them here again. And he says, there are teachers, there are preachers and pastors out there who teach, as Paul says, a different doctrine, a different doctrine than what the Bible says, than what, than what we know to be true. And he says, particularly as we consider Jesus Christ. It's incredibly important, folks, I know, and, and I'm thinking of it in particular today because we're doing church uh, this way through a camera, through a computer screen, and you're sitting in your living rooms watching it or, or whatever you're doing right now. There are so many ways for us to access teachers and preachers, and you've probably watched guys uh, preach online or you've listened to podcasts or whatever, so there's a lot of stuff out there that you can find. How do we know if we're listening to the right guys? How do we know if they're actually teaching the truth? Well, Paul says one of the areas that's so important that you pay attention to is what they say about Jesus Christ. Now, I know that we don't all always agree about everything that the Bible says and, and what it says, how that 
applies to our lives. I understand that, and there's room for some differences. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, there's no room for differences. We have to know the truth about who Jesus is, that he is fully God, that he is fully man, that he came to this earth and lived a sinless life and died a sacrificial death so that you and I can be saved. There's no room for differences there. So Paul says, what do we need to be watching out for? Well, what are they teaching about Jesus? And how do we tell who these people are? Because it wasn't just happening when Paul was writing this. It's happening right now. And you need to be careful who you're listening to. Paul notes a couple of things. First of all, he says, these guys are conceited. They're prideful. They're always drawing attention to themselves. My goodness, in this day and age, you can see that, right? And all kinds of things. Everybody's trying to draw attention to themselves. We live in a reality TV society. I mean, look at us. Look at me. Any guy with a camera can get online. That's what's happening right now, right? He says, you got to watch out for these guys that are constantly trying to draw attention to themselves. They're conceited. He also says that they love to stir things up. They're always in the middle of controversy. You know what I'm talking about. Some people that are always just making a big noise about whatever they can think of, again, to try and draw attention. But notice the third thing that Paul says about them that helps us to identify them. He says they use their position to accumulate or to pursue wealth. Now, there are people out there, there are teachers, there are pastors, preachers, leaders, and they're using their position and they're using their abilities to pursue wealth, to accumulate wealth. Now, there are a few places that we can look at in the scripture where Paul talks about the fact that it's okay to pay people who are teaching the truth. In fact, it's right here in 1 Timothy, we kind of came over, skipped over a little bit so we could get to this passage for today, but it's okay for someone who spends their life teaching the word of God to be taken care of. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about accumulating wealth, like more than is needed and marketing their abilities. I don't know if you saw this or not, but I remember a couple of years ago, there was a guy, a pastor of a kind of a mega church, I guess, down in the Atlanta area, I believe, and there was a clip online that I saw of him getting up on a Sunday morning and telling his people that they needed to really reassess their giving because he desperately needed to replace his private jet. I mean, I'm not making that up. He had a private jet, but apparently it was getting a little scruffy around the edges and he felt he needed a new one. This is what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen them out there. We have to be careful. Don't listen to guys like that. Don't listen to guys who, who promise you the world if you love Jesus. Do you want a better job? Do you want more money? Do you think you should have a nicer car? Well, just love Jesus and he'll make sure you get it. Friends, that is not what Jesus says. Don't you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said to the guy who came and said, Hey, Lord, I want to follow you. Remember what Jesus said? Okay, but you need to know that if you follow me, you might not even have a place to lay your head down to sleep. Jesus has never called us to affluence. He's called us to sacrifice. So don't follow guys that talk like that. Follow pastors and leaders who pursue peace and 
teach the truth about Jesus and who encourage you to trust God and not your wallet. Follow teachers and pastors and leaders who demonstrate by their own life that they are content with what God has given them. Well, here's the third thing. We need to understand the truth about contentment in verse six. Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So what's the truth about contentment? There's a lot of truth in here, in this passage. Can you see it? He says, the real value is when we pursue godliness with contentment. Now let me give you a real easy definition for godliness. Godliness is simply loving the things that God loves. Do you love the things that God loves? If you do, and you pair that with contentment, which is simply being satisfied, then that's where the real value is in life. Now, I know it's hard to be satisfied. I know it's hard to be content with what we have because there's always more. But friends, here's the truth about contentment. The reality is that we need far less than we think we do. We all have so much. Hey, listen, I got an idea for you. I know that everybody's bored right now. We can't go out. We can't go out to dinner. We can't have friends over. Some of us can't even go to work. Um, I got an idea for you. Why don't you binge watch something, okay? Sit down, get out your DVDs, plug them in, watch a whole series in a couple of days. Or if you have Netflix, and if you're looking for something good, watch Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, okay? I'm gonna give a plug for her show. Some of you have seen it and you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't and you have access to Netflix, you might wanna check it out. It's a really fun show. She's a little tiny Japanese lady that comes over and she goes into your house and she, she empties all your closets and looks at everything and helps you narrow things down. And uh, what she does with your clothes is she has you bring them all out and put them in a giant pile on your bed. And I'm telling you, you look at some of these places, and I mean, it's a mountain of clothes. And then she has everybody look through them, and you grab a piece, and you, and you lift it up. And she has a few little odd ideas that you'll know what I'm talking about if you ever watch it. But she says that you should lift up each piece of clothing and ask yourself, does this spark joy in your life? Does this make you happy? If it doesn't make you happy, you don't need it. Get rid of it. And she has people donate stuff and throw out stuff that's no good. Anyway, I got thinking about this the other day and I realized uh, I kind of have a fondness for Under Armour t-shirts. I like what they're made out of. They got a little stretch to them. They wash up good. They don't shrink. I'm looking in my closet the other day. I've got like 25 Under Armour t-shirts. Do I need 25? Probably not. But notice what Paul says here. He says, how do we know that we need less than we think we do? Well, because verse seven says, each of us was born with absolutely nothing and each of us is gonna die the same way. We come into this world with nothing, we'll leave it with nothing. We don't have the power. This is not a choice. We simply do not have the power to take anything with us. So what do we really need? Verse eight, Paul says, well, we need food. I'm thankful for that. We need food. The word food here means adequate nourishment. This is truly a need. We need to eat or we will die, okay? But it simply means here that we need nutrition 
We don't have to be greedy about it. Picture those people in Walmart right now with this cart rounded up of food that who knows what they're going to do with or if they'll ever eat it all. We had friends in Sherman, that the church that we used to be at in Sherman years ago, had friends and they had four little kids and she was always wrestling with, you know, having enough food, make, you know, getting everybody happy with what she was making for dinner. And one night one of her kids was complaining about whatever it is she had chosen to make. And she looked at him and she said, listen, not every meal has to be a party in your mouth. <laughs> it doesn't always have to be fun. We just have to have nutrition, right? We just need to survive. It doesn't always have to be a gourmet meal. With food and clothing, he says, be content. The word clothing is literally a covering. I bet almost every one of us has more clothes than we need. Why? Because there's always more out there. There's always another sale. There's always another coupon coming through in the mail or in your inbox. Paul says, if we pair contentment with godliness, that's what's valuable. Well, here's the fourth thing. Understand the truth about covetousness. But those who desire to be rich, verse 9, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Friends, what Paul is saying here is simply this. The desire for more is a trap. It's a trap because there's always more. There's no end to it. You can't get to the bottom of that well, guys. It's bottomless. There's always more. Now, when you're reading this verse, don't use the word rich as an excuse to ignore it. He says those who desire to be rich fall into this trap. You might be sitting there and you might be listening to me and you might be thinking, well, I don't want to be rich. I just need a little more than what I've got. Well, that's the trap. It's the desire for more that ruins us because there's no end to it, whether it's wealth or possessions or success or whatever it is. It never ends. It's never satisfied. Have you ever said to yourself when you got home at the end of the week and you opened your paycheck and you saw the huge chunk that goes to taxes and all those other things, and you said, man, you know what? I bet you said this. If I just had what? A little bit more. If I just had a little bit more, that'd be perfect. That's the trap because more is never enough. He says the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money, the desire for it, wanting what you don't have, that's the trap. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have things. It's wrong to have more than you do and let that desire drive your decision-making. He says it's a craving, it's the reaching, it's the stretching that causes people to wander away. He has, you know what Jesus said about this in Matthew? He said, you can't love God and money. You can only love one or the other. If you love money, it'll pull you away from Christ. If you love Christ, it'll draw your attention away from wanting more. Understand the truth about covetous, my friends that these cravings for what you do not have will pull you away from God. And by the way, just one more thought here before we wrap this up, one more thought, that is the poor are just as susceptible to this as the rich. 
You may be sitting there saying, well, you know, I don't have a whole lot, so this is not a trap for me. It can be. It can be if you're always thinking about more. That's a trap. Well, in order to honor God, you must learn to be content. I must learn to be content. So just in the last couple of minutes, how does this fit with what's happening around us? I'm guessing that your typical pattern of life has gotten disrupted this week, just like mine has. If you've got young kids, they're home from school. You thought you had two more weeks before April vacation, before you had to put up with them for a whole week. Well, you got them now, and you might have them through till September, I don't know. Your work might be disrupted, your income might be disrupted, your social calendar, your group, church, shopping, getting the things that you need. Can I encourage you? Because probably most of us are thinking at some point, you know, I'm getting a little bored because I can't go to work or I can't do this or I can't play sports or whatever it is that you like to do. Can I encourage you to take a few minutes and just reflect? Am I content? Maybe if you're sitting with your family right now on the couch watching this when we get done in a few minutes, maybe you have a conversation with your family. Are we content? Are we happy with what we have? In this chaos of limited supply and everybody worrying about paper towels and toilet paper, do I really have what I need? Do I really need more or am I okay? What is God saying to you? I think God's saying, I am your peace. I am your provision. And until you find your fulfillment in me, until you stop pursuing everything else, you will never be content. Friends, let's learn to be content.